The year is 1937. And in 1937, the Hindenburg exploded <laughs> while docking uh, in New Jersey. No. Uh, I believe killing 37 of the 98 passengers and one person on the ground. This is a terrible atrocity, and our tones do not convey that. Um, yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's the Hindenburg. It's, you know, oh, the humanity. Like, everybody, I think, knows about it. But yeah. this is the year that it happened and just completely destroyed the entire blimp industry, I think, in one fell swoop. Like, after this year, like, pretty much all blimps were, like, basically kaput. Grounded. Mm-hmm. Even though, like, I think, like, most blimps were hydrogen-based, which is what yeah. caused the accident. But a lot of them were helium-based. And so, like, completely safe. But even those were like seen with suspicion. We'll those thirty-seven this. people killed. <laughs> <laughs> These victims whole, killed the they, industry. They killed the we're taking industry. a real capitalistic take I was here. Say I know, I know. Um, no, yeah, it was it was an awful tragedy. Speaking of awful tragedies and unadulterated capitalism, Walt Disney released its first feature-length film, Snow White and the Seven Dwarves, this year. That. I know so much about like the history of animation and stuff mm-hmm. and like but like that that movie I think like to this day if you go back and watch it gorgeous yeah kind of nothing there story a real Bambi of a story a real I would say Bambi has a lot more going on actually mm. um but beautiful film beautiful film actually speaking of beautiful films that that are I would say something somewhat vapid Somewhat vapid and also won awards, I think. Might have might have won an Oscar. Yeah, Mr. Deeds goes to town. I'll be your critic, Andy Reyes. I try to talk about films through both the context of their film history as well as, you know, bring up any socialist and minority perspectives once again we find ourselves in a movie almost intentionally devoid of any form of color and i don't mean that it's a black and white movie i mean that there is like only white people in this flick like the closest we get is like we got like one very just into it italian violinist that's true that's it (laughs) it's honestly very weird a thing that did not cross my mind how little people of color there are in New York City? In New York City. Yeah, you know, one of the prime places you migrate through. Hello, I'm your critic, Mavis Evergreen. I talk about uh, feminist issues and whatever else really catches my fancy. Mostly narrative, feminist and narrative issues. Yeah. Mr. Frank Capra, he's back. He's back. This is, I think, going to be his second to last appearance. We have one more Capra flick. He's gonna get best. He's gonna get the double, the double header next year, and that's gonna be the last time we see of him. But this was a strong penultimate showing. He did dig us out of bad Frank again, yet again, <laughs> yet again. But I would argue that he did a little bit more this time. He he went above and beyond the call of duty. Would you like me to give you a summary? Yeah. Sure. A financier drives off a cliff. And his long-lost nephew finds himself with a fortune. Deeds is a humble country boy with poetry in his heart and a tuba on his lips. Inheriting over $20 million, he is dragged off to the crazy big city, New York, and learns that everyone there is a scoundrel just out for a buck. Everyone but his love interest, Babe Bennett. Only, actually, she's the journalist mocking him in the papers. Mr. Deed gets his heart broken and in his depression tries to help the poor, faces a lawsuit, and in the end, love saves the day and common sense wins. Slut. Beautiful. I guess let's just cut to the chase. We both enjoyed this film. It was kind of great. It was funny. Yeah, this this was a comedy and I was pretty scared about that. I feel like... The last time we watched a comedy, our our reaction was, it's fine. I wouldn't say. I would say it was, ooh, this wasn't that funny. Yeah. <laughs> yeah but it was fine, right? Yeah. Like, this movie got some, like, actual laugh out louds from me. I don't know about you. 
I got a couple of whimsical chuckles. Yeah, I got, I, I chortled, I guffawed. There was one point when I actively like just went, <laughs> you know, like a crow. It was. Amazing. I was gonna say like a goose. Yeah, like a goose. Like it was genuinely very funny. Yeah, the gimmick is really good. They handle like politeness and like naivety really well without being frustrating. I think that like to this day, I think a lot of films totter into annoying when they try to do that. I'm trying to think of a of a modern kind of example of this because like like the the story of the movie is you know like corn fed bohunk from <laughs> from the middle of nowhere finds yeah. himself in the big city and you know it's very hard for me to imagine a movie that kind of plays within that same space of making it kind of a, a battle between small town manners and politeness mm-hmm. and like big city jadedness yeah and. Not just jadedness, but also like kind of coming to a head with like the capitalist desire of the zero sum game of of fuck you got mine. Yeah. yeah, yeah. An individuality. The best example I can think of (laughs) is a little movie that came out starring Adam Sandler and Winona (laughs) Ryder called Mr. Deeds, which is apparently a remake of this movie. With a totally different ending. The whole movie is like completely different. They completely upend the formula because... Because in that movie, it's big city girl goes to small town. Oh, um, less into that very Hallmark. Yeah, exactly. Like, but this this movie is like pre Hallmarkification. Like, yeah, this is a movie where country boy goes to big city. Goes to big city, and he, you know, he still wears down the jagged heart of a big city woman with a career, but. At no point in this movie does he convince this woman that she needs to quit her job or stop being a journalist. I think the best thing that happens to this movie is that he doesn't know what she does for a living. (laughs) He doesn't know what she does for a living until about an hour into this two-hour movie. And at that point, we're not really focused on their relationship anymore. No. And it ends with them making out, and they like never talk about it, which is, I feel like, great. But yeah, so the main driving point of this film is that Longfellow Deeds... Who's a, very tall. Who is enormous. I don't know how tall this guy is, but I'd, I'd estimate Compared like, to everyone else on screen. Yeah, he's got to at least be like six foot two. Like he's tall. He's a long fellow. Lanky dude. Yeah, he's a tall, lanky dude and like really dominates the scene that he's in at all times. But he is a country boy whose mother was the sister of this like esteemed millionaire, which accounting for inflation, right? Like this guy's basically like a Bezos. Who The Italian this, Bezos. Oh my God, this guy like- the beginning of this movie, I completely forgot about this. The beginning of this movie is just watching a car. Drive off a cliff. Drive off a cliff Whoa. and like watching this thing get owned by gravity. And then it's like millionaire dead. And I was like, this is already great. I love this. I loved the beginning of this movie because that happens. Invest it. We immediately cut to like a bunch of lawyers being like, we have to figure out who the inheritance goes to. And I was like, I, I understand what this movie's going to be about. It's going to be about finding out who this inheritance go to. Like they're not going to be able to find Longfellow. And then they immediately find so, Longfellow. Uh, and I was like, what was the point of that suspense? It, it's amazing because, yeah, it's just like, how are we going to find out who this guy is? And then a, like knock at the door. I found out who, who the guy, guy is, is and he lives here. And it's like, cool. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> We're done. Rad. So... Longfellow Jesus from a small town, Mandrake Falls, and he's whisked away to New York by these lawyers so that he can, you know, inherit the fortune. Uh, The lawyers, obviously out for a quick buck, want to have the fortune insured by them so they can do what they want with it. Yeah, they seem to be in like some sort of money trouble. They've been cooking their books. They're like out a million bucks and they're hoping to be able to recoup that missing money by having this idiot country boy sign over all of the the wealth he's acquired yeah there's a specific legal term that they use but basically they it would put them in charge of like all of his finances and yeah they could just skim it skim it off the top right like boom we're done but something that they don't really kind of come to terms to is that longfellow isn't an idiot he's just a very at his own pace dude not dumb he's just very polite and very slow and the movie definitely plays this up as just like look at this beautiful common sense polite man really he is a figure to be odd and contrasted with the fast-paced sort of evil question mark lawyer is very funny yeah you see this a lot in a lot of modern movies where 
like people from the big city are moving at a pace and because they're like educated, right? They outwit and outsmart people. But the unlike I think those movies where like modern in a modern film, the main the main lead would have to outsmart them. He'd have to play ball with their rules. Yeah. But in this movie, Longfellow never stoops to their level. He's always at his own pace. And that's how he wins is by just not letting them control the game. Um, or he punches them. Or he punches them. Which honestly, 10 out of 10, like violence is not always the answer, but sometimes it is. If it's against a bunch of like millionaires, it's absolutely the answer. Agreed. He's just he's just from a different world, you know? Yeah. And like the, the movie doesn't, I, I have a lot of problems with how this movie frames it. Like yeah. this movie clearly thinks that there is a kind of an inherent American wisdom to living in the country that I don't think is particularly true. I mean, it's a thing that we still deal with is like, well, don't we got to worry about small town America. They really know in the mm-hmm. heartland. Yeah, the, yeah, they know what it is. In the heartland. <laughs> and I, I I take issue with that shit. Agreed. But I do like that this movie, I think unlike most standard Hollywood fairs, it doesn't weigh one over the other, right? Like the movie kind of admits that there is like, there is some good stuff about living in the city and there's some good stuff about living in the country they're not they're not one is not inherently better than the other they're just two different modes of living now the movie does pass judgment (laughs) the movie definitely judges i think the people who live in the city a little harshly i think a thing that's interesting and a a common sort of misconception Mm -hmm. trope a, a common sort of trope is that you can only find community in the country where you like know your neighbors and you give them apple pie. And this movie definitely buys into that, right? Like yeah. the problem with these cities folks is that they're just individuals and they don't care for one another. And they don't really get too deep into it, but it's definitely like the overarching plot. I would say that part of the reason they don't really get into it is because like the movie in the way that it is written kind mm-hmm. of breaks that away. Like, it's true. Like supposedly Longfellow Deeds is like he is the way he is because he comes from this like super tight knit community. But like, so do the other characters. Like, Babe Bennett, who is the female lead, and she's awesome. Uh, 10 out of 10. I Love her. The actress's name is Jean Arthur. She has a community. She has a roommate there. That's a community, right? She's clearly, like, very tight-knit with all of her fellow journalists. And, like, even even the bodyguard of the movie, whose name escapes me, the, like, you know, your classic mafia-type guy. Yeah. Even he, like, is so like in touch with the journalists that they're on first name basis like that's a community i the the kind of the thing that the movie doesn't really have time to get into is like the differences between how those communities have to kind of work yeah to to be so in sync but it's not really the point of the movie no i definitely agree that i think i think there is solid writing that sort of contrasts the overarching moral which makes this movie just way more palatable um, I think there was only like one scene where I was like, oh, no, movie, you've gone too far. <laughs> but I think the rest of the movie like genuinely works super well. Um, I'd love to talk about like this female character because I, I love her and she's great. She is the romantic interest. She is allowed to be the same character even when she falls in love, which is something that's not happened until now. She doesn't like disintegrate the minute she's in love and become unable to do anything functional. She and- speaks English. That's true. <laughs> Which is a pretty big one for me. She's got agency. Yeah. And the thing that outdoes her is actually her competence and like a super fun twist. Uh, so, so she's she's a Pulitzer award winning journalist. She's She is Lois Lane. Like she is like, and she is what I wish Lois Lane was, I think, in the modern movies and in the comics. Like you see her actually like doing her job and like how competent she is at it. Um, the first time you meet her, she's just kind of like sitting in this meeting full of dudes, just in the corner, messing around and playing hoop and stick, playing hoop and stick or whatever, <laughs> whatever you're doing in the corner of an office. Like she's not like playing Tetris on her iPhone, which is probably what she'd be doing today. But like she's clearly not paying attention. Mm-hmm. Um, and this this editor is like yelling at all these men like you're all a bunch of idiots. Get out of here and go do your jobs before I call you something worse. And then he looks over at her and is like. You're almost as bad as them. What are you going to do? And she's like, I'm going to lunch. And immediately, like, we see her amazing plan, which is she just collapses on the sidewalk in front of this guy. And I think she does something that is 
really good and also speaks to her depth of understanding of him is the movie has alluded to the fact that like he has this real like hero frame mindset and honestly i think the movie even kind of pertains like portrays that as being bad i i, I think the movie portrays it as being childish and naive yeah we said the same thing <laughs> and she like intrinsically knows this she's just like oh kid from the country he wants to save a woman got Easy. it got him and it is so good <laughs> and a thing that i think works is in the movie he never actually saves her like never once she in fact saves him and it's great it takes a really good writer to take a character like this and not fundamentally twist or bend or break the character like just have them maintain their morality <laughs> so many movies that you watch these days like female characters are like a gas they just fill the container that they're put in and like it doesn't matter if they were like headstrong like one scene ago in this scene they need to be weak so that the man can have like a woman to like hold and literally it, every movie we've watched until now has until done now. this well, and i i would even say like you know like you, you really you, you see this shit like to this day right yeah like you see it in marvel movies you see it in it happens to wonder woman in freaking wonder woman like it's true it just it's annoying and like you can this movie kind of shows that you can write like a competent female character and have her go through like an emotional moment without breaking her inner like strength and dignity. And I think one of the best ways that this movie does this is that when she realizes like what she's doing to this guy and she makes, she kind of makes the judgment like I need to tell him the truth. She's explaining to her editor in his office, all of this, but she for that entire scene is facing like out a window. We never get to see her face. We never get to see like her expression, but just from her dialogue and from how she's like speaking, you can tell that. And at one point she breaks down crying, but the movie lets her have her dignity, right? She doesn't fall into the nearest man's, the nearest arms. man's arms. Like her editor comes over. Who, he, this guy's kind of a father figure to her yeah. and he's like consoling her, but like he lets her cry and he like, you know, pats her on the shoulder like, hey that's the job he has a really good line of like she i think she like is resigning mm -hmm. and he's like hey this guy's probably not worth this and i love just the line of like you're throwing a lot away yeah for for what for who for this guy and yeah and and for this rube with the cinderella man mm -hmm. and it's really good like because of dramatic tensions of course she doesn't get to like tell him but the fact that she was even considering it is like way more than a lot of movies would do. Oh, yeah. So yeah. many movies wouldn't even give her the chance to think about admitting it, right? She sets up like a date. Like, they're, yeah. like she everything is ready to go. She would have been able to tell him if Longfellow's bodyguard wasn't so damn good at his job and also she wasn't so damn, damn good, good at, at hers her job. Because he found a newspaper clipping of her winning a Pulitzer Prize. And was like, oh, little Mary Susan Ann. Well, her name is Babe. Her name is Babe Bennett, and she's the person who's been screwing you over since you got into this town. And it's like Oof, genuinely heartbreaking. This man is destroyed. The first hour of this movie mm -hmm. is what I would is I would say a pretty decent comedy. Mm -hmm. The last hour of this movie is an exercise in perdition. Like <laughs> there is like no humor in the last hour of this movie, right? Like it's once, all set up. Once it turns, it is straight up drama from then on out. You, That's the, not true. The final scene is pretty comedic. Yeah, and they, they do have a couple of like... Little bits. Yeah, but overall, the, the tone of the movie shifts from romantic comedy to romantic drama. drama. And, and it's intense. Um, so the first half of this movie is the Cinderella Man, right? Mm -hmm coming into New York, kind of making a fool of himself, but sticking to his guns and his morals and slowly winning everyone over. Slowly winning everyone over. But before he gets to do that, well, gosh, because like three things happen all at once, right? Like, mm -hmm. so the lawyers who've been scheming and conniving have decided that they're going to sue him uh, on behalf of his cousin, who also has a claim to the inheritance. Has a dodgy claim. A dodgy claim, but yeah. a claim. But he kind of openly knows that Babe Bennett has like, kind of played him for a fiddle yeah. and he's really broken up about it. He's like refusing to see her. And um, this guy breaks into his house and like with a gun, wh whips out a gun at him and is like, I'm going to kill you Longfellow deeds. 
this isn't a comedy anymore. I'm a poor man who has been fucked over by the depression. And you have been out here flaunting your wealth that could have been feeding me and my family and hundreds of other families. I'm going to kill you with With this this gun. gun. And it's like, oh my God, (laughs) what happened to the comedy? Where'd it go? And he doesn't, but like, it's like a genuinely tense moment. There was like a moment where I was like, I don't know how much time is left in this movie. This could be how Long this movie ends. could die here. Yeah. And then we paused it and we're like, there are 50 minutes. There's 50 minutes of movie left. So clearly more has to happen. This is where the movie gets on its soapbox a little bit. And I kind of appreciate it. So Deeds, Longfellow Deeds, mm-hmm. decides after this encounter to start a kind of a workers program. Very like New Deal shit. This yeah. is like pre-New Deal, I think, actually. So like FDR still hasn't done anything about the Great Depression. We're still in the middle of the Great Depression when this movie comes out, which is, I think, very bold of this movie to yeah. then to take this stance, which is that he is going to distribute his wealth and open up a farmer's program wherein if they work the land for three years, they get to keep it, right? And they're given like crops and seeds they're and giving, stuff. Yeah, they're giving tools, supplies, everything they need. He's very like adamantly like, this is going to help them. This is going to help these people work. But it's also going to help jumpstart the economy. Yeah, it's only like one state and it's only, I think, a thousand people. But like, yeah. that's a thousand people. That's, that's a thousand, thousand families. People. I think this movie sets up very early on and I think is sort of why Longfellow is, a, is until sort of this moment, you don't feel weird about his wealth because he never wanted it. And throughout the whole movie, the only reason he's like such a stickler about giving it to greedy people is because all the people he's talking to are already rich. And because he doesn't need the money, he's like, well, I want to use it to do something good. There's there's a line in the movie. I don't remember when it was. I think it's I think it's when this guy's like pointing a gun at him or right before yeah. then. He's talking to, I think, the bodyguard mm-hmm. and he's or the the butler, who is a, an amazing character in this movie. Love um, the butler. Very funny. He's talking to somebody, though, and he's like he, he mentions to them like I think like the world has been moving so fast since I got to New York that I haven't even had time to sit down and think about what I'm going to do to get rid of all this money. Like, I want to do something with it. I just don't know what, right? Like, yeah. he has no idea. Um, and it isn't until... He's the, almost shot. He's almost murdered by this poor man that he's like, oh, this is something I can do. I can help, you know, 1,000 people get back, like, work again and contribute and feed their families. And, and- it's awesome. It's rad. And then he gets sued by the lawyers for being mentally unstable for trying to help the poor. He gets sued for insanity. <laughs> and I don't say this a lot because I think it's bullshit. So what I'm, I'm not going to say you couldn't make this movie today. What I'm going to say is Disney and Warner Brothers and like any other major multi-million dollar movie studio, Amazon, Netflix, would not allow a movie that has this moral messaging to be made without fucking it up somehow without meddling with it without making making the moral of the story actually rich people who inherit wealth are the true heroes which this movie gets dangerously close to yeah this movie definitely treads into some waters but does a pretty good job receding from them but ultimately this movie lands upon something that i think no modern movie would dare say which is what rich people need to do to to help the poor is give them money. <laughs> yeah. Just dead ass, just give them your money. You don't need it. What are you doing with it? What are you Nothing. doing with it? You're not doing anything. You're literally and not doing anything. The movie employs language that these days I think is reserved almost exclusively for the poor, right? Like he calls these rich people moochers. Yeah. If you've ever watched Fox News, moochers is like a very common term that's used against people who live on welfare and so and like use any social security benefits. But like he has a little soliloquy at mm-hmm. the end but he basically describes a moocher as like if you're rowing a boat um in the ocean and one man is sitting there not rowing and he asks you hey row for me and there's another man drowning you should help the person who's drowning because the guy who's not rowing already has everything he needs he just doesn't want to work for it and i'm like this is like language that these days is almost reserved entirely for the rich and to see it used against the rich is very satisfying and also like so disillusioning like the conversation has deteriorated so much since then largely due to you know Reagan era economic bullshit but the power of propaganda my friends we're in a where this is a world right where like 
socialism was out there and working and wasn't taboo in america yet yeah like was solving problems like eliminating poverty in russia and like feeding millions of people and then united states was in the midst of one of the worst depressions probably the second worst depression that they've ever that we've ever been through and people are like starving in the streets and dying and like this is a movie that gives you hope that things can be better that you know all the rich people need to do is give us their money (laughs) It's fucking awesome. It's and also, true. so we're in the middle of this trial and Longfellow Deeds is out for the count. Yeah, he has entered a love depression and refuses to speak. Everyone is calling him insane and he's just lost. Like everything I've done has backfired against me. I'm just not going to talk. Yeah. What is the point? I mean, earlier in the movie, he was like, he was all ready to pack up and go home. Yeah. And I think he's kind of still in that state of yeah. that listlessness of like, I don't want to be here anyway. Yeah. Just give me a guilty verdict and let me go home. Like, And so we're doing all of this setup. All of these people are coming up on stage and being like, this is why we think he's crazy. Our favorite reporter is called on stage and they're like, did you write these papers? And she's like, yes, but let me explain. And they won't let her explain. And it's just the whole deal. And all of this is really long set up for the punchline, which is that babe is like, hey, I love you. You better speak up for yourself. And when she says, I love you, the they like the, the cut to Longfellow Deeds' face is the most adorable shit <laughs> I have ever seen in any of these movies. A real love saves the day moment. Like his, uh, this actor, Gary Cooper, I think is his name. This guy's awesome. This guy's amazing. Genuinely amazing. Very, at the time, I think he would be what they would call an understated actor. I think these days we just call it naturalistic acting. But like everyone else in this movie is like loud, bombastic, and like. That's not true. Babe has very understated moments. Yes. She's also, I think, a naturalistic actor. I think that's why they pair so well. Mm -hmm. But like. Everybody that they interact with that isn't each other, the, the, their emotions are very theatrical, right? Yeah. Very loud, very Over the radio top. show bullshit. Yeah. And so to see this guy like walk in and do subtle act, like face acting, like there are moments in this movie where you can see his demeanor change from like pleasant to confused to like angry, like all in the span of like a couple minutes, just in his face and in his posture. And you're like, oh shit. This guy's an actor. Like, <laughs> Oh my God, we found acting. It happens in 1937. We've invented acting again. And like, that's not to say that we haven't seen good acting before, but to see somebody like... To see acting happen not through the words they're saying, but through their actual actions is really nice. It's so refreshing. It's a movie, it's a movie that was written to be a movie, yeah. right? Like, like the Not scr- to be a stage play. Yeah, not to be a stage play. So like, there are very few moments in this movie where Longfellow Deeds tells you how he's feeling. He does every once in a while, you know, he expresses his like disbelief at the society around him. But mm-hmm. like there there are moments in the movie where the words that he's saying and like his physical posture are like at odds with each other. Like when he's talking to Bay Bennett about like all this Cinderella man shit and, you know, like she's looking visibly guilty. Like, oh, sh- <laughs> oh God, we got to change uh, subjects. We got to change subjects. But there's one point where he's like, if I if I could get my hand on the people who've been writing this shit, I would just I would beat the shit out of them. And he like. But, like, his posture and his facial expression are, like, defeated almost. Like, like he's just so tired. Yeah. And he even, like, he looks at the guy behind him and is, like, like distrustful. Like, I just, like, I'm, he's so on edge. Yeah. He doesn't actually want to hurt anybody. He just doesn't know what to do. He's like yeah. a puppy. He's like, like a, a puppy. large puppy. <laughs> uh, it's and, very good. Yeah. And I, I don't, and like you said earlier, I don't want to undersell, um, Jean Arthur's acting either as Babe Bennett because she is also, I think, very naturalistic. Her emotions are also very clear on her face and in her posture as well. It's just interesting. Yeah. To like, we haven't seen this type of acting really on display. Yeah. It really elevates this movie. I think a lot of movies get like bogged down in their jargon, and this movie really avoids it because like both him and Babe are people of few words and so much emotion, and it makes them like the best straight men in the movie super funny because everything they say has impact. It's not just like, well, this is the fifth thing you've said in two minutes, so whatever. Mm -hmm. They don't really operate under that like mile a minute humor that we're like, it doesn't matter if this joke isn't funny because we have like three jokes after this one. So, you know, one of them will get you. Every joke in this is like crafted to be as funny as possible in that moment. And it's nice. 
Yeah. It's very restrained. Again, the last hour of this movie really isn't humorous at all. It's just drama. All of all of that is set up to him finally getting on the podium. The joke is him going through like every accusation and being like, "This is ridiculous. This is normal. This is normal shit. This, this is, is normal just... stuff everyone does. We all have weird quirks." And he just like points out everyone's weird quirk that called him out, and it's like one super funny, but two. It just is such a good like tension reliever. It, it it's a very like they got their comeuppance, and then also he punches someone. So it's yeah, great. and then he he punches the head lawyer, like yeah. decks him on the snoot. It's such a good, satisfying conclusion to like all the shit that this movie's throwing at you. And uh, the movie kind of ends a, a little. I would I wouldn't say abruptly, but in a place where I'm just like, it ends in such a way that you're left kind of hopeful. Right, like he wins the court case, he's declared sane. Mm-hmm. Movie ends with Bay Bennett in his arms. Mm-hmm. Well, he he gets carried out of the courtroom, right? Mm-hmm. Like a rock star, yeah, on correct. the shoulders of men, and he has to like run back, suit disgruntled. Yeah, like torn, I think, in half yeah. at one point. He closes the door on all of these like cheering, like farmers and like normal people locks it on them and then like scoops up Bay Bennett in his arms and is like, ah, shit, actually, where do I go from here? I guess we'll kiss. I'm going to choose to believe this was a cognitive choice. He's so bad at kissing. He's very awkward about it. Oh, because he's, yeah, because he's never kissed a woman. He's never kissed a woman. He's never kissed a woman. And it's just a very funny place to end with Bay Bennett being great at kissing and this man being like, what do I do with my mouth? This guy is like the ultimate virgin. (laughs) <laughs> like, and I don't mean that in like a bad way. I just mean in like, like this is a character who's never had sex. No. Who's never kissed a girl. Who's they never had an imaginary girl. girlfriend that yeah. they would talk to, to about when they went hiking, which is the saddest thing. And yet it never veers into, into creepy. Yeah. Because he's so earnest. Like. Yeah. Well, none of his fantasies are horny, right? He was, it was just like, well, I wanted a girl my age to talk to. And I lived in a small town where that wasn't where the, a thing. Yeah, I, I didn't really have that option. We're in Hayes Code era, so they can't make out. Correct. They're not allowed. Not too allowed. horny for too horny for the public. Like not even Hallmark lets you do get away with that shit. <laughs> but the the fact that she is like actively like pecking him on the cheek and like trying to get a kiss out of him, and he's like, I don't know what to do. I've never been trained. I don't know what to do about this. But also, he's like, Okay, I definitely want to kiss her. I don't know how to do that yet. Also, don't know how we're going to get out of here because as far as I can tell, there's only one door out. (laughs) There's an amazing scene Mm -hmm. in this movie. I think it might be my favorite scene in the movie in which he writes a poem Mm -hmm. expressing his love. Oh, my God. Yes. And it it is some primo cutesy shit. I love it. Mm -hmm. He gives her this poem. Mm -hmm. She reads it. It's very romantic. It's Mm -hmm. very romantic. It's not the best poem, but like he writes it. poems for postcards. You can't hold that against yeah, him. He's doing his best. Mm-hmm. It's definitely probably the best thing he's ever written. It starts <laughs> off. It starts off rough, but it gets there. Yeah, um, like most poetry. <laughs> and at the end of it, he's like, "Oh well, um, you don't you don't need to give me an answer right away. I, I'm gonna go." And he just yeets himself like he trips over every trash can on the street he, like he like r- jumps over a car he pushes a man to the floor <laughs> and, like runs off the set and then you just hear in the background like an almost accident happen and you're just like that's our hero that man's never kissed a woman it's the cutest thing it's adorable it's just i feel like it's such a relatable emotion also like everyone for the most part has been in a situation where they've confessed their feelings or thought they did and has immediately been like okay uh i'm turning off my phone <laughs> yeah 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 it, it, this is very this guy like practically naruto runs out of there like, yeah it's true it's it's adorable it's great i don't know how anyone would watch this movie and not want to fuck this man it is <laughs> he whatever it is he has it and it's it's a it is it is truly a goddamn shame that no one has gotten a chance to take it from him it his seems, chastity according to like his his housekeeper women have tried Mm-hmm. But he had like kind of gross notions of like, well, I need to save a damsel in distress. Uh, and then this woman was like, you don't. You're an idiot. It's cool, though, because we love each other now. And at one point he even says like she has a perseverance, yeah. a stubbornness to her. And I like that. And I was like, yeah, of course you do, dude. Your attitude has also changed so much. <laughs> You've grown so You've much. You've grown so much. 
oh gosh i think that's also my favorite scene like that scene is so good really that scene i think truly cinches their romance in a way that just grounds it in like such a believability that no other romance has had until now and also men haven't in any of these movies really been allowed to be vulnerable they've just sort of attained women as prizes so seeing a man like be vulnerable and not sure he's gonna succeed is it feels so good it's such a deep spring (laughs) i do think that that's part of the reason why i think this movie works so well is because this actor gary cooper i Mm -hmm. believe his name is whoever's playing longfellow has a vulnerability to them like Part of that is just the character and how the character is written. But I think part of that is just also like there is something very interesting about watching this large man feel uncomfortable and out of place. It grounds him in something. Yeah. Here's another scene that we haven't really talked about. He has four, these four, three, three or four butlers that kind of just are around. Yeah. And at one point, one of them comes into the room while he's playing tuba (laughs) and he's like, I've told you before, nobody comes in here while I'm playing tuba. Get out. And he chases him out. And I couldn't tell if it was early in the morning or late at night, but he stops him in the atrium of this mansion <laughs> and starts yelling. And like the yelling causes an echo. And so the he makes the butler yell. The other two butlers come out of their rooms and he makes them yell. And it's like, what's the purpose of this? And he's just like, let that be a lesson to all of you. And he goes back to his room and is like, what was the lesson? The point is just that he's having fun. Yeah. And they're having fun and it's great. And that's the and that is the point. That like, hey, don't be so serious. Yeah. Also, don't come into my room while I'm playing too low. <laughs> it's a movie that really understands what this man needs to be to yeah. be to both be attractive but also to be believable. Yeah. And it's vulnerable. He needs to be vulnerable. And the whole movie is orchestrated around him being at his most vulnerable at his most public, right? Yeah. And he's in that courtroom scene. And yeah, you you, you wouldn't catch, uh, I don't know, like Humphrey, you wouldn't catch Humphrey Bogart fucking dead or Clark Gable fucking dead doing this shit. Being vulnerable. Being vulnerable in like in, in a public way. Because like Clark Gable's been vulnerable in a movie. Mm-hmm. like, But it's always when the man is alone in yeah. the dark or whatever, like, yeah. and no one's watching him. Or another man is there. Yeah. It's never... It's never in front of their love interest. No. And it's never in front of more than one person. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel lot. like we've given our accolades to this film. We liked it. We liked it. We liked it, it a lot. <laughs> yeah. I want to mention a couple of the things that I didn't like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Because it's sure. only fair that we mention them. Yeah. The big scene that comes to mind, and the only scene that I think for me was like a grounding halt of like, ooh, no thank you is they are walking around outside on a date and they go up to Grant's tomb. And for whatever reason, how great America is comes up. And uh, our favorite president, Ulysses S. Grant, is mentioned in like, let's not comment on the atrocities he committed. And it doesn't feel great. Yeah. We kind of touched on it before, but this movie does have, I want to say, a dangerous disposition towards the belief that, one, America is a great country. And yeah. I like, I don't want to be too much of a, of a nihilist here, but like, or a pessimist here, but like, the movie doesn't ever really engage with that the... idea other than saying it. And that's coward shit, right? <laughs> like... If you want to talk about how great Ulysses S. Grant is, you need to mention the terrible things he did as well, right? Mm-hmm. You have to mention, like, and don't get me wrong, of the presidents, he did a lot of cool stuff. Won the Civil War. Love that shit. <laughs> um, you know, like he sent the, the, he sent the U.S. military after the KKK. Love that shit. But the man was also like, cur- like, you know, in charge of a very corrupt system of government. He was definitely racist. He at one point in his life owned slaves and the guy he did he was, some gross native american things yeah he definitely genocided native americans like all u.s presidents like um involved in america's colonization of um mexican territory he like he did a bunch of awful shit and i it's one of those things where like we are still in a mode i think of being reverential without being critical and you have to look at the bad shit if you're going to look at the good shit this country has done some awesome shit it's also done a lot of terrible shit 
and like to just blanket statement be like this is the only place in the world where a small farm boy can commit genocide against native americans and that's awesome is feels gross yeah it feels bad don't love that it also in this movie doesn't work because while they're being like america land of the great he's also like well i guess i have to pick up this poverty don't i because no one else is doing it Mm -hmm. and it's like you feeling some discrepancies within your own cinematic universe the movie is almost almost like longfellow deeds himself the movie is not stupid but slow (laughs) and like comes to i think like the writing in the movie comes to a different conclusion than what the characters in the movie say. Yeah. And it's weird. This movie is like the, the movie's pacing and plot is smarter than the dialogue that the writers are writing. Yeah, I agree. Because I do think the end moral of this movie is like, if we could just get back to good old homegrown America, we'd all be better. I do think the moral is just like, the city is corrupt and evil and it's ruining good homegrown America. But that's not what the actions in the movie show but also it's like that's a bad moral don't love that moral turns out like homegrown america country has done a lot of terrible things turns out a lot of racism festers there turns out being surrounded by people of other ethnicities gives you a sort of community and makes you more Mm open-minded i'm just i want to rep cities because i grew up in new york not new york city but close enough Mm -hmm. and it's just like i don't know Cities are great. Cities are great. Cities help with prejudice. Like there are studies that are like, hey, you're less likely to be prejudiced if you live next to other minorities. And 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 I should also point out, right, there is a, I wouldn't say glaring, but very intentional lack of people of color in this movie. We have a scene where we see like literally hundreds of farmers lining up, you know, hoping to get a bit of that American dream back. None of them are black. None of them are Hispanic. All of them. None are of white. them are Irish one either. Of, well, yeah, none of them are Irish. Or one Jewish of them is German. Or... Yeah, one like of them is German. one of them is German. Uh, but guess what? That's not Jewish. That's um, true. And maybe, well, you know, this one what probably wasn't. <laughs> but like, yeah, like there, there is still a very like. I don't think it's the thing that this movie is doing intentionally. I think it's. I think this is partially a product of the what the movie world was at the time. But also, I think it is partially like responsible for doing it which is that this is white supremacy right only the white farmers get get to have this opportunity because the people who have the money are also white right there is no point in this movie where we see mr mr longfellow deeds like helping out the black community that's not going to happen that's not going to happen today if this movie <laughs> this, this movie if this movie was made recently and it was you're not going to see that like that's just the reality of it, and like, while I do think that this movie is does some stuff that I think is really cool in Agreed. terms of like pushing certain socialist ideologies, like this movie is also very, very much rooted in a very specific whites only socialism, which which is what we did. That's what the New Deal was. Blacks were excluded from that stuff, and like so were Hispanic people, and like any person of color really. Like, Mm -hmm. and that, and at the time that included, you know, Jewish people that included like Italians and Irish people, like Asians, Asians. This was before we had banned them. Yeah. From, from the United States, like socialism that excludes people of color isn't socialism. It's white supremacy. So this movie does some rad shit, but also like, it's got problems. It's got problems that should be considered. Mm -hmm. We've already talked about our favorite scenes. We have already talked about our favorite scenes. Which is the one. It's a very good scene. That scene, 10 out of 10, sells their relationship. I I love watching a six foot two guy just Naruto run out of a bad romantic situation. Yeah. So uh, what were the ages of these actors? Ooh, you're putting me on the spot. I do have them though. (laughs) All right. Gary Cooper as Longfellow Deeds. Mm -hmm. I... Gary Cooper's Longfellow Deeds. He was tall, but you can be tall at any age. He didn't strike me as being super old. I'm going to say he was 28. 28. 28. Gary Cooper was born in 1901, which would have made him 35 uh, at the time of this filming. I think you were on Yeah, you were you were you were a little on the young side, but you were in the right place. He's not not an old guy. I, I feel like I say 30 every time, so I just wanted to mix it up. 
Mm-hmm. And how old was Jean Arthur, who played Babe Bennett? I want to believe they were really close in age because they had like really fun chemistry. Give, then give me an exact number. <laughs> an exact if number? If you think it's close, give me an exact number. You know he's 35. I think she's 30. 30 straight. 30 flat? Yeah. Jean Arthur was born in 1900, which would have made her 36. Yeah! One year older that's right. than Gary Cooper. You don't see that every day. No, that's wonderful. No, I I do think it's it's always nice when... I don't think at any point in this movie was I ever like, oh, these two actors are very different ages. No. They, they have great chemistry. Mm-hmm. They don't get like a lot of long scenes together, but every time they do, like... There's some tension there. It's real cute. It's I wouldn't say it's sexual tension. No. But it is but it's, ro- it's romantic. I definitely get the vibe that like they're not going to have sex till they're married, but they're real cute. Mhm. Yeah. Yeah. There's no passion there, but there's a deep friendship. Mm-hmm. Tall king, short queen. <laughs> so, do you think this movie deserves an Oscar? I've been thinking about it. I've been mulling it over. Same. It's been in my mind. Yeah. No. Tell me your reasoning. Um, I think this movie's great. I think it's a lot of fun. I think it's yeah. possibly... The most fun movie we've watched most, for sure. The most entertaining movie that we've seen. Genuinely, if you want to watch any of the movies we've watched, like this one's rad, watch this one. This one deserves to be one of the still loved films. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Like if, if, you, if, if, you to- if you're going to tell me that this movie's in like the top 100, I'm going to give you like a shrug, but like sure, I'm not going to be mad about it. Yeah, no, I get it. It's fun. I think it's a... There are lots of, like, cute twists on romance that I don't think you see anymore. Like, this movie is weirdly refreshing in its avoidance of current tropes. But I don't think it's... I don't I don't think this movie... The, the thing is that this movie won the Oscar for Best Director. I don't <laughs> think this movie really does anything directorially that is interesting or good. It's, like, it's competent. The movie yeah. is very slick. Um, I think the the transfer that we watched wasn't particularly clean, but like no. Also, some of the sets are very obviously like uh, set on stage on a soundstage. On for a sure. soundstage, not only that, some of the sets are very obviously a video being broadcast behind them with oh. them standing in front, and I think that is bad directorial choice. I don't actually know if that technology has been invented yet. It might have just been like a big poster. It but could it, have been a big poster. But yeah, it, for sure. The movie has a lot of um, There are a couple of sets painting. that look really bad. Very matte painting-y. Yeah, for sure. I, I don't... And that's like a special effects thing. Yeah. I don't think this movie does anything directorially that's particularly interesting. Yeah. I think the movie's writing is very well done. I think yeah. the actors are fantastic. But I ultimately don't think that this movie really does any... Like, I, I don't think I'm going to remember this movie very fondly. I think I'm going to remember this movie fondly. Mm-hmm. I think I'm going to remember it as being funny. But, like, even now, I'm struggling to, like, really hold on to, like, the specific jokes, right? Like, yeah. I think it's a fun time. I think it's a movie that has a lot of heart. I but agree. ultimately, I think, falls way, way short of what I would want... In an Oscar-winning movie. Yeah, to be. I could have been swayed to a yes, but I also kind of settled on a no. I think the romance in this movie is so good that it makes me forget what the moral of this movie is. Uh, But the moral of this movie has been the moral of like 90% of the movies we've seen, which is like, don't you wish we could go back to the good old days? And I think that moral is bad personally, but also that's not exactly a fresh moral. Like the last three Oscar movies we've watched have had the same moral. So I just think even in the Oscars, like this is a well-trodden street so far. It's so tough, right? Because this movie is so much smarter than those other movies. Agreed. Like, and I want to, I want to differentiate that. I want to elevate it. I want to, I want to be able to point at this movie and say that it is smarter than them. I think this movie I would be fine if it was in the top 100 Criterion Collection. Replace Mutiny on the Bounty with this oh, movie. Absolutely. You know what? I would be willing to give this movie. I would be willing to give this movie an Oscar. I just don't <laughs> think it's. No, because... I think if we both settled on no, that's a no. A good movie does not make an Oscar nomination movie. Can Can we at least say then that this is definitely the best one we've seen so far? Because I, as much as I loved Quiet on the Western Front, this movie was so much more fun to watch. <laughs> I think All Quiet on the Western Front deserves an Oscar, but it's not the most fun movie to watch. This movie, way more fun, does not deserve an Oscar. So, yeah, because it's... Can we give this movie, like, an Emmy? An Emmy? <laughs> we'll, give it a, we'll give it a filthy Tony. Like, <laughs> one of those other lesser awards. Yeah. We'll give it a Grammy. 
Um, we'll give it a musical what I, what I, here's what i'll say and i don't think this is true like we're gonna watch the best best mm-hmm. picture right mm-hmm. i'd be hard pressed to find a movie i think where the actors the two lead actors in it have like oh we can give it an oscar for best, best actors. actors and who knows like the next movie we watch mm-hmm. is is gonna have better acting in it i doubt it but maybe yeah but i think i think if i'm gonna give this movie an oscar for anything those two actors those two actors are wonderful i they, agree they will capture your heart they will make you believe in they will make you believe that they're falling in love which is more than i can say i think of any other romance that we've watched i don't know where this puts this on our scientific list of oscar winning i'm gonna say this one gets it i'm gonna say this, this one, one gets doesn't it. get to keep its director oscar but no, does get no, but the does. best actors oscar but I, I think we can land on this movie deserves an oscar it's not the one it got it's not the one it got okay so congratulations frank you did it again you did it again i i do if i was gonna i don't know get like a like a grandma to stitch me a like a cross stitch yeah i I would get frank capra's name because he's really saved us yeah i am curious i'm Mm -hmm. curious what the next what the next movie is gonna be yeah same I think I'll be sad to see him go unless his last movie's really bad. In which case, go fuck yourself. Go fuck yourself. All of this gun, burn the cross stitch. Mm-hmm. I, I need Frank Capra to know, may he rest in pieces, that he's on thin fucking ice. <laughs> I don't, this movie might be good, but it wasn't that good. It wasn't that good. All sins are not forgiven. It looks like the next movie we're watching is The Great Ziegfeld, directed by Robert Z. Leonard. Interesting. Um, I assume it's about a magician or or a con artist. Oh. Those are the same thing. Nakma, I was thinking like a Jewish person. Ziegfeld strikes me as like a Jewish name. Mm-hmm. Maybe like a Jewish magician. <laughs> uh, if only. If only. <laughs> um, join us next time for The Great Ziegfeld. I've been your critic, Mavis Evergreen. You can find me at Mavis Evergreen on Twitter. I've been your critic, Andres Reyes. You can find me on Twitter at royalty underscore Valens. You can also find me on my other podcast, Direct to Video, that I do with my buddy Tony. We recently watched Aladdin, King of Thieves. And that's a... I I think that might have been a less fun time, actually. <laughs> um, it was a good... It was a, it was a mediocre time. I, I'm, I'm so excited we're finally at the part of our podcast where we're watching better movies than you and Tony. <laughs> for who knows... For however long it lasts. <laughs> And remember, kids. A statue, a shitty little golden fucking statue is not an indication of quality, probably. (laughs) (laughs) Also, you should punch rich assholes in the face. Magic, do you conjure? Will I prove that Jesus was not the Son of God? <laughs> and now I'm going to light a menorah from six feet away. <laughs> <sighs> oh. oh, the Great Ziegfeld does it again. Still, Happy Hanukkah. Still not allowed to find refuge in the United States because it's 1937. <laughs>